Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Series a number of weeks ago, following Jesus in all of life, this is our definition of a true disciple, to try and simplify it for you. We had so many different ideas of what a disciple is, all of which were right. We decided we would try and simplify it a little bit. And so a couple of weeks ago, I highlighted the little word all that appears in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And we talked about how to be a true disciple. One needs to follow it all their heart, to follow in your job, to follow in your family, to follow in whatever way, in your prayer life, in your community, in intercession, whatever way that might be, uh, to follow God in all of your life was really important. We talked about how worship is not just coming to sing songs or listen to a preach. Worship is when you open up Google. Worship is uh, when you close the doors at home at night and no one's watching. Worship is a, a lifestyle. And we talked about that. And so discipleship is the process through which um, true disciples grow in the Lord and are equipped in the Holy Spirit. We love this, um, who obviously resides in our hearts, and that's really important. And so this process of discipleship actually requires believers to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting to examine their thoughts and their actions and compare them with the Word of God as we came around the tables to, to, to do communion and to gather this morning, these things are really important. This week, and over the next number of weeks, I want to jump into the massive area of prayer. It's an area, or it's more of an arena, really, of prayer. And we're going to develop this over the um, coming weeks. And before I teach you on the different aspects of prayer, because there are different aspects of prayer, even in simple verses like ask, seek, and knock, um, the writer there has given us a description of three types of prayer. There are some things you get that you ask for, um, simply. There's some things. It's the same in life, isn't it? Same, same in life. You can ask your mom and dad for something or whatever you ask and you get, but there's some things you've got to seek for. You've got to go that little bit deeper. And then there's those things that you just have to seem to constantly knock, and that knocking can go on and on and on for a long time. And so Paul tells us in this powerful passage in Philippians 4, when he's writing to these churches in Philippi, he says, do not be anxious about anything. So he's saying, don't be afraid of your enemies. Don't be afraid of your adversaries, he's saying. But in every situation, you see it, by prayer and petition, which is a type of prayer. So he's saying, by prayer and petition. So there's, there's prayer, and then there's petition. And then he says, with thanksgiving, another form of prayer, um, present your requests, another form of prayer, to God. So you see all of this in this little verse here. And then when you do all of this, he says, a promise is given. He said, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will give you the answer to all your prayers. Oh, no, no, I misread it. <laughs> It doesn't say that. He says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to examine that little phrase because that's loaded, that little phrase, but not today, all right? That's for a week or two, all right? 
Prayer is dependence on God, and we need to continue to pray to kill anxiety and to, and to cultivate peace. That's basically what Paul's saying. And you have to ask yourself the question, how did Paul learn to do this? Where did he get this from? What was his secret? How could he glorify Christ in all the things, all the beatings and shipwreckings and everything that he went through? Well, he, he told us this, actually, if you just drop down a couple more verses in this same chapter, this is what he says. He says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance." I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, in any and every situation. Very powerful, isn't it? Whether to be fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is very powerful, isn't it? So Paul prays in everything. In every difficulty, in every difficulty of every kind, he prayed in everything, the Bible says. Not interesting. It doesn't say he prayed for everything. He prayed in everything. In every circumstances, he prayed. He trusted a promise that corresponds to everything. And this is what he, he learned then down another verse. He said, my, my God will supply every need of yours according to to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Very powerful, isn't it? So you pray in everything because you have a promise for everything. Now let me say that again if I can remember it. You pray in everything because you have a promise for everything. God will give you everything you need. And here's the thing. Everything you need is wrapped up in himself. Everything you need is wrapped up in Jesus. Do you ever notice how um, whenever uh, you're, you're maybe down or troubled, having someone you love around you brings some kind of ease? They're not actually bringing the answer to your situation, but just better when they're there. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, he, under and in and over and in all the answer to all our prayers, Jesus gives us what we need most. We need himself. He is the ultimate secret of contentment. And we're going we're to journey into this over the next month or so. And so in every situation, an all-surpassing treasure is Christ himself. Now, what I want to do this morning, on my trusty flip chart, is talk to you a little bit about um, maybe more why you pray more than how you pray. Be good to figure out why, why we would all pray, all right? And so what I want to talk to you this morning about is probably a thing called a pattern of prayer, all right? Oh, a pattern of prayer, okay? So I want us to think about this, about this sort of idea of 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 why anybody would pray. So before we look at the how, we're going to look at the why, all right? Now, some of you will know that before I worked for church, um, I sailed a sand barge in Loch Ness. And uh, this, is, this is what it looks like on a really glorious day. And you're all thinking, oh, what a beautiful thing to do. Um, it's not always like that. As a fact, it's very seldom like that. There's a couple that is mostly what it's like. So that's a good day. That's a sort of a normal day, all right? Um, it was all good fun. And uh, Loch Ness, as you know, is the biggest loch in the British Isles. It's the big, biggest fresh 
water lock in the British Isles is fed by six rivers, if I'm, if I'm Kenny will correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, it has, it, it, it actually holds, I, I googled this yesterday, 300 square kilometers, here it is, and it, is, it contains over 800 billion gallons of water, enough to fill 7 million swimming pools. It's a big place. Legend has it, by the way, that Loch Ness was created by the Irish giant, Finn McCool, who, um, who scooped Loch Ness Basin out to toss it to a Scottish giant who was fleeing Ulster by the way of Giant's Causeway, and that piece of ground landed in the middle of um, the Irish Sea and formed the Isle of Man, all right? I, I'm not dead sure that's true, all right? But um, that's, that's, that's the legend, all right? Now, whenever I sailed, I haven't sailed for a little while, but whenever I sailed all the time, I had these things here called charts. And these charts, actually, when you look at the charts, you can tell every single part of the lock. They can tell where all the holes are, where the, all the different depths. Very, very powerful thing. And so what these charts are, exactly what, they've, what, the, what a chart is, they've chartered the, the lock. They've chartered it. And so they know where all the, all the heights are, all the bumps, all the places you need to avoid that you don't want to run aground. So all of this is on a map, which I had. Now, my brother Kenny, who's here this morning, he's sort of the legend of the lock, and he sailed without these. He and my dad before him sailed in uncharted waters. They sailed before there was such a thing as these maps, and, and even the best and seasoned of sailors, um, which I love to class myself as a sailor, even the best and seasoned of sailors will shrink back in fear from uncharted waters. Nobody really likes on chartered waters. They're not nice to sail in, and you have to be in your guard at all times. If you're, on, if you're sailing in uncharted waters, you, you, need to be, you, need to, you, you need to just watch out where you're going, all right? Um, they're not a nice place to be. And this morning, no doubt, there are people in this room right now who are in on chartered waters. You're finding yourself right there, a bad health report, a financial crisis, you just found out your spouse is cheating on you or maybe has left you for someone else with a small family. I don't know. A loved one has died. You just can't seem to get a job. On and on I could go. On and on I could go. You're in a place where you have no map, no reference points. It's a horrible place. It's one of the reasons I love the story in Acts 27. And it's the story of Paul's shipwreck. Um, and, and you should read the story, Acts 27. It's a very powerful story. Paul um, has been down in Caesarea. You'll see right down at the bottom right-hand side of this map. And he's been down here, and he's just met before King Agrippa. And King Agrippa and Festus, the governor, and Felix, all of these people probably would have let him go. But Paul was insistent that he would go to Rome. As you can see, is quite a journey. Now, imagine... Um, those of you, I know Kenny will appreciate this. Imagine setting out on that journey with, with no map. The only, no, no electronic instruments, no, the only thing they would have to go by would be wind and sun. 
That's the only way they could tell direction. These were seasoned sailors. And so they would sail from Caesarea. You can see their journey. And then if you read the story, you'll find that when they got to Crete, they, they anchored in a place called New Havens, and the storm blew up. This storm blew up, and, they, and because New Havens isn't a good place to winter, um, what it says in Acts 27 is that the wind can get at it from the north and the south. So it was an open harbor, and they knew it wasn't a good place to winter, and so they decided they would, they would, they would take a go at it, and they would try to get to Rome. The problem is, when they left Crete, right in the middle, they ran into a storm. Now, this was a real storm. Actually, verse 20 tells us about this storm, that it says that the sun and moon didn't appear for many days, and they'd given up all hope of coming out of this alive. That's what verse 20 says. So this was, and this storm, you can read actually, went on for 14 days and 14 nights. Sun or moon, they didn't know whether it was night or day. This storm blasted them, and they got totally, absolutely off course. They had no idea where they were. They were in uncharted waters. And they, um, you'll see actually in one of the verses that I put up in a minute or two that they ended up in the Adriatic Sea, which if you can look at the boot of Italy, you'll see the heel of Italy. Up in there is the Adriatic Sea. The bottom little bit between Corinth there is the Iconian Sea, and then, of course, you've got the great Mediterranean Sea. And so they're in this in, uncharted waters. And so what I want to do, I want to I pick up five things real quickly this morning that, that, that you need when you're in uncharted waters. Five things that I think give themselves as a platform for prayer. Because, you see, here's why you pray. Every single one of us don't pray because we love to pray. All of us in this room, I think, pray because we need to pray. It's born out of a basic instinct of need. None of us would probably pray if we didn't need to pray. And, and so the, the, this, this pattern of prayer is born out of, I think, five big, big things that I find in this story. And the first one is the promise, all right? In the middle of a crisis, in the middle of this crisis, Paul received a promise. Now, um, I, I love this. You might want to call it, um, I, I, might, I might call it an action point. Pattern of prayer or an action point, <laughs> Action points are good things, aren't they? So you have something to relate it to. You have something to ground a thought to. This is an action point, all right? So Paul receives a promise, and, um, and he, here it is. You can read it on the screen. Um, he says, I love this. He says, but I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you is going to be lost. Now, how did he know that? He says, the ship's going to be destroyed. So the owner of the ship, I'm sure, wasn't that chuffed for this news. But he said, nobody's going to lose their life. Because he said, last night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said. Now, they, Paul isn't coming up on deck and saying, I've got a hunch. He said, I just sense the Lord might be saying. He's not saying that. I love this. He's saying, the angel of the Lord, whom I, who, who, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said. So he's looking at him. He said, okay, right, I get it. Now, that's pretty sure. That's a pretty strong promise. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you all the lives of all who sail with you. Isn't it amazing, actually, when you keep in the will of God, how it actually brings safety and security to the people around you? Moms and dads, that's a great lesson right there. 
Actually, Paul's obedience to God secured the livelihood of 276 people. That's pretty, pretty cool, isn't it? Um, so here it says, he says, so keep up courage, men, for I have faith in God, or the authorized will say, I believe God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we're going to run aground some island. Thanks for that, Paul. That's great news. We're going to run aground. So in my life, I've had some storms, as you will have had, and all of us in this room will have had storms. Three big ones that probably jump out to me are, are losing my business in 1991, which was a bit of a journey. I lost my home in a fire in 95, and I lost my wife, Jill, in 2006. And those were big storms for me, and there were uncharted waters which can tend to blow you off course. Now, my very first experience that I can remember of uncharted waters happened actually on the 24th of May, 1969. I was 11 years of age, and I was at the, I was at the Belmoral Show with my dad and Kenny and Alan um, and myself were at the Belmore Show Saturday, um, and we come home sort of late Saturday afternoon, come into the kitchen where we lived, and my mom and my oldest brother, Nori, were actually standing at the bench. I can still see this vividly. I was 11. That's a long time ago. And they were both weeping. And I, I, you know, that sense in your gut, you just knew something was wrong. I remember my heart beating, my, my stomach tightening. And of course, they told me, uh, told us that our, our cousin Charles had been killed in a car accident, a pretty horrific car accident, not actually far from where we're sitting right now. And uh, I can remember the numbness. I can remember how I felt. I can remember the reaction of everybody in that room all of those years ago, vividly, vividly. I had no map, you see. It was unchartered. I, I'd never lost anybody that close to me before. I had spent most Saturdays with Charlie, my cousin, because he run, did a lemonade run, and I helped him, me and Kenny helped him in the lemonade run, but we took this Saturday off, and I remember thinking I needed something to hold on to. I remember thinking I needed a lifeline. I needed a pattern. I, needed, I didn't know where to go. I was lost in this. I, I'd never experienced anything like this before, so I was grappling. I was, I was in uncharted waters. I was sinking. I didn't know how to live through this, and so I began to wonder what to do, and uh, and. and and I thought maybe God has deserted and left, and maybe I needed something desperately to cling on to. So as a boy of 11, I started to write down some promises that I still have today. I remember that Saturday evening writing some of these down. I, I, call, them, I call them my butt list. I, uh, the reason I call them my butt list is that when they don't compare to how I feel. You see, you feel like everything's falling around you, but the Bible says something else. And I remember, I remember vividly as a boy deciding if I was going to do this thing called Christianity and I was going to serve God, I was going to have to go with my butt list. That if, if my mind and God gets into an argument that I'm going to go with God, and some of you are in this room this morning and, and you've got all kinds of things, all kinds of things come at you, big storms. So here's some of my butt list, though I am with you always. No, no. I will never leave you. I will never, God, it feels like you're not here. No, no. 
but the Bible says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The Bible says, I will restore your soul. The Bible says, I will never leave you. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible says, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all things in me. So all over these little lists of mine began to be something very powerful. I remember on the 13th of August, 2006, which was the first birthday, Jill's first birthday after she died in March, and I remember on her birthday sitting on an airplane, the back left-hand corner, the back, as far back as you can get in any plane, in the back left-hand corner, the row was empty, there was nobody beside me, and I, middle of the night, 10 to 1 in the morning, looking out the black window, thinking that matched the darkness in my soul, and I couldn't figure out, I, I, I remember thinking, I'm either drowning in water that's too deep, or I'm burning in a fire that's too hot. And I couldn't figure out which, and I couldn't figure out which was worse. And God gave me a word out of Isaiah 43. Here's what it says. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And I committed this to my memory. You, you see, here's the, here's the thing, folks. You need to get your promise. Because life will bring storms. And there'll be uncharted waters. And if you don't have a lifeline to cling to, if you don't have an action point, if you don't have a pattern, you'll not know what to pray. So there's no point in me telling you all how to pray unless you know why you pray. And most of us pray out of desperation. And you'll need a promise. You will need something to hold on. Here's the second thing. You've heard me talk about this before. Keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. What do I mean by that? Well, here's the story. Here's what happened. It says, on the 14th day, they were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. And about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. And they, they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. And then a short time later, they took soundings again, and they found it was only 90 foot deep. This is a great platform for prayer. This is a great pattern and platform for prayer right here, to keep Short accounts. I, I, sorry, I'm, I'm relating stories to myself because it's the best way I can tell you the story. And this isn't about me. I'm just trying to relate Scripture to you, all right? But when my business failed in 1991, I went into receivership, and I didn't go bankrupt. And, and I was advised to go bankrupt, but I didn't want to. And so the, 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 the solicitor, Sir Oliver Napier, said to me, well, I can put you under protection of court for, a, for four years. And if you feel you could work it out in four years, I, I, we can put you under protection in the court. And what that simply means is that the, the crown can't even take you to court. So my two biggest debtors were VAT, the VAT office, and POIE. So that was good news. So they put me under protection of court that those two, nobody could take me to court in those four years. And it gave me time to try and work it out. Now, I wish it could tell you it took four years. It took 13. But um, still with all, I, I did it. And, uh, and, and, and in that time, in that four-year period, I had to submit a weekly budgeting plan every single week. Every single week, I had to submit to my receiver a budgeting plan. Taught me how to budget, I can tell you. And it taught me how to keep short accounts. It taught me how to understand 
to keep short accounts. Because here's the thing. You, when, when you don't keep short accounts, you have no idea the depth of the water. And some of you in here this morning don't actually realize the depth of the water you're in. And you need to, you need to start thinking. Now, this happens, this happens to me all the time. When, I'm, when I go to a home where someone has just died, uh, where I go to a home where someone's got widowed, and, 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 and maybe a, a, a young woman or a, a young man is thinking, they can't go on. I know what that's like because I've been there. And maybe they might say to me, and this has happened many, many times, I just don't know how I'm going to live now. I actually don't even know where I'm going to get money because he was the provider and my money source is all gone and, and there's all of this stuff's going on. And sometimes, even, even before we actually organize the funeral, I've had to sit down with a person and say, now, settle down a minute. Let's look at this. You're not, you're, you're, you're not going to die. You're not going to be out in the street in four days. He, 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 here's, let's, let's look at your finances a minute or two. Let's think. Here, here's, and look, we're going to help you as a church. We're going, to, we're going to stand with you and help you through this over and over again. Because it's really important, you see, to keep these short accounts. And people say all the time, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Or when the crisis hits, sometimes even we get Lenny, who's our accountant, to help look at the facts. And Because, you see, we always go to worst-case scenario if we don't know the true facts. So it's really important to keep short accounts. Now, number three. Now, you're going to love me for this. I'm going to be your favorite preacher ever, all right, for this one. Physical, mental, and um, spiritual strength. Now, you're going to love it. Where do you see this verse? It says, look at this. Just before dawn, Paul encouraged them all to eat. Now, if you want to eat yourself out of a problem, this is the verse. All right, this is the key verse. He says, for the last 14 days, he, you haven't, you, you've been in constant suspense, have gone without food, haven't eaten anything. Now, I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread. He gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and he began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. And all together were 276 of us on board. And when they'd eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. There's a time to fast. There's a time to fast. And I'm going to talk to you about fasting, because fasting needs to be God-led. It's not a way to lose weight. Not a good idea at the beginning of the year just to do a week's fast because you think you've put on a few pounds over Christmas. That's not a good grounding for fasting. And lots of us do it. I've done it myself. All right? But... So fasting needs, but I'm not talking about fasting at the minute. I'm talking about strength. It's so important. It's so important when you get into uncharted waters, you see you're off course and we get riddled with anxiety and stress and we forget to look after ourselves. This is a problem. And it's one of the most important things in a time of crisis is strength, physical, mental, and spiritual strength. A couple of years ago, just before Christmas, just pre-Christmas, I fell off the perch and... um, I took a really bad chest infection, and I, I, I was still turning up for everything, but I knew I'd been burning the candle at both ends and maybe a little bit in the middle as well, and, and I was out of fuel. That's just the only way I can say it. I was out of fuel. I was tired. I was irritable, and I didn't even like me, and I was smiling and be nice to everybody. That's what passive aggressives do. 
all right? Um, I have a great friend who I cycle with, and, and uh, I, I, I was having a coffee with him, and I was spilling out my frustration. You know, I was, I was you know how you do in a time like this? It's never our fault. It's everybody else's fault. It's them. It's they. It's the other ones. It's work demands. It's on and on and go. And my friend just listened intently. He's a quiet soul. And he just listened intently. And a little later on the day, he sent me a text. And the text went something like this. Phil, you need to go and look in the mirror and see who is to blame for the way you are and the way you're feeling. And then to add insult to injury, he said, when was the last time you were out on your bike? I taxed him back. I hit you. Um, uh, <laughs> you see, I should know better. I should know better at my stage of life. I should know that the pattern of prayer, that when, when things get busy, that I should maintain my, 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 my physical strength. I should know how to balance out my diary. I should know if there's a busy week that I should put in a week where I'm going to have some time out. I should know that. You should know that. But we don't do it, do, do we? And we run ourselves into all kinds of, 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 of silly things. So, really important. Number four. We'll just another one to go. Five and we're done. All right? Number four. Now, you're not going to hear this in too many sermons. Swim or grab a plank. That is a great pattern for prayer. That's a great platform to pray from. All right? Swim or grab a plank. All right? Now, where do you see where I got it from? Here's what it says. When daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. I imagine up around the Adriatic Sea... It's pretty rocky and it's pretty volcanic, so I think a sandy beach was pretty an uncommon thing. And they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting the anchors loose, they, they, so they have all these anchors trailing, and they're running with the wind, and all these anchors trailing. Of course, the captain says, now cut the anchors, and he says, well, hoist the mainsail. Um, so that was a little sail at the front, a foresail to the wind, and, 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 and the idea is they're going to run aground, all right? But it says the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. And the bow stuck fast, wouldn't move, and the stern was broke to pieces by the pounding of the surf. They saw a sandy beach, right? And the idea is to run aground, and this is the idea, to run aground, everybody jump off and we're in dry ground. Happy days. All sounds like a really good plan. But, but, they it didn't, they're probably about three to 400 meters out at this time. Could have been anywhere up to half a mile, maybe, but probably three to four hundred meters out. And um, they hit this sandbar, and the back of the ship's just been racked, and, and now the ship's falling to pieces. And here's what the centurion says. It says, but the centurion ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. And then he says this, and if you can swim, tough luck. He says, the rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land. See, the ship being busted asunder by the surf, and the centurion says, either swim or grab a plank. Now listen to me really carefully, because you're not going to hear this in many churches, all right? You're not going to hear this in many churches. There's a false thought that God will always land you on the sandy beach. And maybe he has done that in your life, and if he has, that's wonderful. I'm a bit jealous, though, I have to say. Because in my life, um, I've had an odd sandbar, you see. 
and I've hit an odd sandbar even on the home run. Well, you thought you were just there. You thought you were getting there and you thought everything was good and boom, sandbar. And uh, I've often wondered why. And when I find out, I'll let you know. Um, I, I, think I, I think I have an idea. Um, you see, God wants to co-partner with us and, and I think sometimes he checks us for stamina and grit. He checks to see, have you got what it takes? You see, if God's going to co-partner with me, or I'm going to co-partner with you, or you're going to co-partner with me, you want to make sure I'm not going to run out when the chips are down. You want to make sure I'm dependable. You want to make sure you can rely on me, and I on you, God's exact same. You don't believe that? Well, I, I, let me take you on a little journey through the Bible. He did it with Abram, Genesis 22. He, he about to slay his son. Don't do it! For now I know. <laughs> Abram's had a sandbar. Now I know. Did he not know before? He's checking him out, you see. He did it, with, he did it with, with, with Moses. He did it with Paul. He did it with Peter. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. I would love him to say in the next line, well, but don't worry, Peter. I, I won't let him do that. That's not what he says. He says, but I have prayed for you that when he does it, your faith doesn't fail. <laughs> wow. God, I thought you would have landed Peter in the sandy beach. And here's what's more. Not only did he do it with Peter, he did it with Jesus. Jesus bows his, on his knees in a garden the night before he dies. And he says this. He says, Father, if it's possible, not this sandbar. We, we could do it some other way. If there's some other way, we could do it. But not this sandbar. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I, I, I don't know why it is, but every time, every time. And, and it's like Tozer says, Tozer says that seldom does God use a person till he allows them to be hurt deeply. I hate that little saying, but I found the truth of it so many times. Seldom does God use a person till he allows him to be hurt deeply. You see, it's important that we, we understand this because um, we, 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 we go through all these kinds of things. We, 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 people, say, people say, pray for me. Pastor, will you pray for me? We're, we're, we're so in debt as a family. We've just overspent and, and we're 10,000 pounds in, in the red. And I said, well, I'll pray with you, but you need to cut your credit cards up. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll pray with you, but you need to take some action. You need to you see, we co-partner with God. Stop complaining about your job. Get a new one if you don't like the one you have. Stop whining about it. So people say, well, I've been asking God about it, and, and he hasn't been saying anything. Why would he? Why would he? If it's not the right job, go look the right one. If this isn't working, try what is working. You see, swim or grab a plank. Do what you can do. And that leads us into our very last place. Pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on you. There's something about this, you see, 
this building, this church, every move we've made, every staff member we've taken on, we've got so far, and then we've had to jump. Surety's here, and he can, he can vouch for that. Every time, every time, we've had to swim and grab a plank. If we couldn't swim, we had to grab a plank. We had to get there. And when, when, when we planted the church way back 23 years ago, I worked full-time job for the first six years and worked part-time for another two after that. You see, you have to swim or you have to grab a plank. Not many people know that because it's really important that we understand in these five points. You see, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the deal, folks, as we bring this to a conclusion. Prayer is not a pastime. Prayer is not for the faint-hearted. And over the few, next, few weeks, I'm going to try and get you past the shopping list prayer idea. I'm going to try and get you past because many of you in the room, that's as far as your prayer life has went. It's just a shopping list. It's all about, God, give me, help me, do this, do that. Bless my kids, bless my kids. There's a place for those prayers. But I want to take you past that. And, and that's why I'm trying to build you a platform and a pattern for prayer, action points that will drive you into a prayer life that you see. Because here's, here's the deal, here's the deal. It's a discipline. It's essential for kingdom experience and life here on earth. When Jesus said, this is the way to pray, pray your kingdom come and be on earth as it is in heaven. How do you think that's going to happen? That's going to happen when some people climb that mountain, grab the lapels of heaven and pull it to earth. That's not an easy job. That is intercessory prayer. And saying you're not a good prayer is like saying you're not a good eater. That's not a good enough excuse. Well, I'm, I just don't think I'm really gifted in prayer. Prayer is not a gift. It is not a gift. It's not listed anywhere in the 23 giftings of the New Testament. And even in the, in, in the graces of the New Testament, which there are probably three or four of, prayer doesn't rate in any of them. Prayer is not a gift. Prayer is an essential quality of life. And it's born out of a promise. It's born out of keeping short accounts. It's born out of physical, mental, and spiritual strength when the chips are down. It's born out of people that have grit and stamina that learn how to swim. And if you can't swim, you grab a plank and you get ashore and you pray like it all depends on God and you work like it all depends on you. That's prayer. And that's how we get there. Stevie's going to come going to do a song. Are you getting this? I think, you know, so often, so often we just get into this sort of melancholy prayer life where it's, well, I'll pray, and if it happens, it happens, and if it doesn't, it doesn't, and if it does, then I'll know it was God's will, and if it doesn't, then I know it won't. Oh, come on. It's got to be better than that. It's got to be stronger than that. There's got to be more. I feel a bit like John Wimber. John Wimber, whenever he got saved and he, and he went to a church that didn't work in the gifts, uh, and, and, and after a few months of going to that church, he, he said, I, I, I left drugs and sex and all of that for this. <laughs> There's got to be more. There's got to be more. And, and we get more when we turn up and we start to co-partner with God. That's what prayer is, standing alongside God. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father. Let's stand, let's worship, then I pray. Our prayer ministry team are at the back behind the boards, this corner here. If during the worship time, 
maybe you are in the uncharted waters at this moment in time and these points are something that are ringing true to you. Maybe even during this song, you want to slip back to the prayer ministry team and say, what Phil said this morning resonated with me. Sorry, a lot of the stories are just my journey. I'm just trying to relate to you um, how it works in my life. I hope you forgive me for that. But um, slip down and ask the guys to pray for you if that's where you're finding yourself this morning. We're going to worship and then we'll, we'll pray. The passion of... We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.